yesterday, Debbie and I were together, and we went over to visit her folks. Both her folks have dementia. They're in separate units here in the city. And as we were driving over there, there was very few people out, like one o'clock, two o'clock. Very few people on the streets. And of course, you couldn't help but notice that almost every store, all the different places were closed. And I was thinking about that as I was driving. And as I thought about it, I couldn't help but think, why does the world stop for Christmas? Why does the world stop for Christmas? And I know what the popular answer is. I know what the pragmatic answer is. But what's the real answer? Let's pray. Father, we pause for a moment together. And we're grateful that you have stopped the world. You've changed the world. And the things we've sung today and read, the two songs we just sang that are just lifted out of so many of the scriptures we're about to read, we believe them to be true. We believe you are the faithful one. We believe that we can count on your promises, that you are our redeemer, that you are the king of kings, that you are the creator. And I pray that, beginning with me, but with each of us, you'd, you'd forgive me, forgive us, when we become apathetic or complacent about these truths that change everything or overly familiar or overly casual in our approach to you. And so we just stand overwhelmed as we sang even from Isaiah 6 just moments ago, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are pure. You are holy. And because of Christ and Christ alone, we can stand in your sight. And so we pray now as we explore the precious gift of your word that reveals so much of you to us, and yet there's still mystery, like we sang about moments ago, still mystery around Christ. As we explore your word, would you speak to us in very personal ways, whether we're at home watching online or here in the sanctuary? We pray you've been blessed as we have sung and read your word, as we consider your scriptures now. We invite you to speak into our heart as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. During Advent, during this month, we have been anticipating and celebrating the coming of Christ, the coming of Messiah, the coming of the King of Kings. And so in this little, in this month together and concluding actually next Sunday, we've been talking about this idea of searching for hope. And, and frequently what we've been doing, and we're gonna do this again today, 
is we've been looking at some of the passages from the Older Testament that um, had some sense of fulfillment at the time, but also future fulfillment. And we see them being played out in the life of Christ primarily. And so we've been looking at the older, seeing how they're fulfilled in the life of Jesus, but also yet to be fulfilled. Even one of the lines that we sang in the song we just finished singing that's lifted right out of Revelation chapter one, Jesus who was and is and is to come. And so we're going to do that again today, and we're gonna see how hope is fulfilled exclusively in the person of Christ. So approximately, you know, give or take a year or two, 84 years ago, um, I was sitting in my undergrad studies and I went into my first Greek class. And this is my Greek New Testament that I'm holding in my hand here. And Greek is the primary, not the only, but the primary language of the New Testament. And so when you look at, this is Koine Ancient Greek, it's a dead language now. It's, it's, the, the, the letters are unfamiliar to us primarily and they look quite unusual to us. And in those semesters that I studied this, um, I, I knew and I learned just enough to be dangerous. And so I remember the first day walking into class and the professor said to us, okay, as we get started, uh, let's practice saying the letters of the Greek together. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, and we move through, and it's just slightly easier at that point, it's more complicated later, but slightly easier than that, than English at that point, because in the Greek there's 24 letters, whereas in English we have 26 letters. And they said, the professor said, now go home tonight and memorize all of the letters of the Greek alphabet as well as this, I think it was like 100 words of vocabulary, something like that. The first letter and the last letter of the Greek New, Test of Greek New Testament language is alpha and omega. And it literally means something you've heard before, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And this is an expression, as I've phrased it just now, that's commonly seen in several times in the scripture. And it, expose, it exposes us in the scripture and it speaks to us in a specific way. And what I wanna do this morning is something just very simple. I just wanna take several instances in the older and in the newer testament and let the scriptures speak very clearly and yet profoundly and simply to you and allow them to just illuminate, kind of turn the light up brighter on Jesus because often these references are to him. Three times in the book of Revelation, which we're gonna look at in just a few minutes time, Jesus says about himself, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and I am the last. And he says these things about himself and about God. And so as we read these passages of scripture, what I'm gonna invite you to do is listen for his credentials. You're going to hear his credentials coming out in the beginning 
and throughout these passages as we read them. And so we're looking at Jesus as the Messiah, but also in a broader sense, him as the Alpha and the Omega, listening for his credentials. So we begin in the book of Isaiah, speaking of God. Isaiah on your device or in your hard copy edition is just to the right of center. And so if you open your Bible, you'll probably be in Psalms or Proverbs, something like that. Go a little bit to the right, and you'll come to the prophet Isaiah, who is who lived about 700 years before Christ did, and he's writing about God, and he writes prophetically about Jesus at different points. And he's considered what's called a major prophet of the nation of Israel, meaning he had a wide-ranging and big idea scope kind of ministry, and he had an extensive one. And so looking in Isaiah chapter 41, speaking of God, verses one through four, he writes this. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east? And at that point, God is saying, I am going to stir up Cyrus, the Persian king. And if you know your history at all, he was a great Persian king who conquered many nations, including the north part of Israel in 722 BC. And God says, I have stirred him up. Cyrus was under the illusion that he was in charge, but God stirred him up. I was privileged many years ago to go into the British Museum and I saw something called the Cyrus Cylinder, which is a little object in which he has had people write all of his exploits. And it's about this big and it's about this round and kind of tapered at both ends. And he was under the illusion that he had done all these things, but God is saying, not so. I have stirred you up. I have directed you and caused you to do things. Calling him in righteousness to his service. He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. This is God speaking about himself. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windbone chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them, and in there it's going to be the word first in Hebrew, and with the last, Hebrew, I am he, I, the Lord, with the first of them, and with the last, I am he. God is saying that he alone is God, even though people operate under the illusion that they're in charge. He's directing things, and that he alone is God. We move ahead a couple of chapters, and in chapter 43, he begins speaking about the fact that God is the only savior available to all of us. That he is a God who is full of mercy despite our frequent levels of unfaithfulness. He is full of mercy and he is patient to us. And then he says in chapter 44 as he carries on that theme, beginning in verses one to six, he says this, 
But now listen, O Jacob, my servant. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb. And we're beginning to see the different credentials and activities of God. He who made you, he who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob my servant, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll provide for you, God is saying. I created you, (coughs) I created you, (coughs) and I will provide for you. I will pour out my Holy Spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. I will say, I belong to the Lord. Another one will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write (coughs) on his hand. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's, and he will take the name Israel. Thanks. He will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer and the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no other God. You begin to hear level after level of who he is and what he has done. Who he is and what he has done. He begins to build his credentials. God is king. He's the one that created us. He's the one that provides for us. He is the king. He is the redeemer. He is the Lord Almighty, Adonai, meaning he is the only God. And he builds his credentials one on top of the other. Forward to, and he keeps referring to himself as the first and the last. Forward to chapter 48, in which he says in verses 12, through 14. He says to this, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. In other words, he's created all that there is. And I would suggest to you, there is no more profound argument for the existence of God than those kinds of statements. The one that created it all. And my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them up, they all stand together. Created all of this, all of you. And then he says in verse 14, come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols have foretold these things? And so he says to them, and then he says to us, because we're busy in the creation of idols as well. He's saying the men that idols create and worship, these things that we make primary in our life apart from God, these things that we make up in our mind or with our hands, these idols, where are they to be found in all of this? Are they the self-existent one that created all that there is? And God is going, where are they to be found? Absolutely nowhere. He is the only God. He is eternal. He is the redeemer. He is the creator. He continues to build his credentials. And all of these things point to the living Christ. And so we move to the New Testament. And who is Jesus in the passages I'm about to read? 
Let's turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read the verses that we were just singing just moments ago. Revelation chapter 1 says this, beginning in verse 4. John, this is the apostle that Jesus loved. This was Jesus' best friend who writes and records and was inspired to write the book of Revelation, writes this beginning in verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Look. He's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be forever. And then Jesus says this about himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. He says this, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Later in the same chapter, so Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the uncreated one. I am eternal. Then later in the same chapter, in verses 17 and 18, speaking of himself, he says, when I saw him, John is speaking, he writes, I fell at his feet as though dead. In other words, he's aware of what's going on, but he, he really can't move. He's fallen before the Lord. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said this, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Over to chapter 21, the second last chapter of the scriptures. Revelation chapter 21 in verse six. And it says this, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. Whoever would have a relationship with God through Christ, whoever's thirsty, I'm available to them. The Alpha, the Omega, the eternal one, the resurrected one, the giver of life, the giver of eternal life, the redeemer. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus is speaking again in the last chapter of scripture, beginning in verse 12. He makes this promise, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Sorry, the beginning, the first and the last. Let me read that again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is a righteous judge as well. 
And the thing that's so wonderful about this is he's not a jaded judge. He's not a tired judge. He's not a judge that's just seen this before and is going through the motions. He has pure motives. And he will right the injustices that we perhaps have experienced or we see all around us. And he is saying the dark secrets that people think no one else knows about will be exposed to the light. And the God of truth, the just God, will uncover them. And each person will be judged by holy God. As we sang about earlier, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Each person will be judged by holy God. Those that are in Christ, those that have received him as their redeemer, as the one that has given them given them living water, will be seen through the eyes and the activities on their behalf of Christ. Forgiven, names written as it says in chapter 21 of Revelation in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those that are apart from Christ, those that have refused to bow the knee to Christ voluntarily will be judged entirely on their own actions alone. And then they will bow the knee and acknowledge him as it says in Philippians 2. And then they will be cast out. So I say all that, everything I've just said, I say all of that in order to invite you to respond in light of this. During the Advent season, we rightfully celebrate and we acknowledge the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an important and a good and a right thing to do. It's this moment in history where history is changed and divided. There's the time before Christ, there's the time after Christ, where history changed that stopped the world. And so we celebrate all that during this Advent season and we absolutely should but we're also reminded to worship him. And I've been seeking to do that today as the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. He is the creator of all that there is. He is the self-existent one. That's the one that is mind-boggling that he is eternal and the self-existent one, uncreated, uncreated. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, it says in the book of Ephesians chapter one. In other words, the next breath that you take is because he holds it all together. And all of it holds together at his hand. He's the only redeemer. These passages have spoken about this three or four different times. He's the only one that gives living water. He's the only one that says, I will set the captives free and I'll allow you to step out of your slavery to sin and you will be cleansed and you will be forgiven and you'll be able to be in the presence of holy God simply because I did this for you. And then when he returns again, as he promised several times in those passages we just read, 
he will judge all of the earth. In light of all that, he came in this moment of time, but he is the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. I invite you to worship him as such. And as the team comes, we're gonna sing those two songs that we just sang again. I want you to be watching as we sing those songs, as we're singing the words of scripture, the concepts of scripture. And may these songs be an opportunity for you to worship him as the Alpha, as the Omega, as the Redeemer, as the Creator, as the Sustainer, as the Righteous Judge. Let's worship together.